Welcome, everyone. I'm glad you're joining us uh, today. Uh, it's my privilege to be here sharing with you. Um, my name is Michel Duarte. I'm the pastor of Somos Church. Our church is a new church plant that started right at the beginning of the pandemic. So very interesting times for us. We literally had our first meeting that was scheduled at the, the first Sunday that the pandemic kind of like forced everyone to quarantine. And we've been meeting uh, over Zoom and sometimes at the park since then. And if you remember Pastor John Talley from Roosevelt Community Church, Roosevelt Community Church is a church that we're part of, that sent us out into planting this church in Chandler. And our vision is to help form a, a multi-ethnic, multicultural church in Chandler. And our vision is to be, uh, help form a community that's all of Jesus, all people's one family. The, the idea of like gathering people from different backgrounds, people who are typically not coming from a, a Christian background or not looking for a church. That's our desire to see a church like that established in Chandler. And in many ways, I see the work that's happening here at the, SB, the SBC and throughout the valley, how we're all connected. Even our, our church plant, in a way, is a result of this environment that, that God has been doing so many things um, here in the valley. So you may have noticed an accent. I'm born and raised in Brazil, and I left Brazil when I was 18. And when I left Brazil, I left to go and serve God in, in, in different countries to take the gospel to other countries. And I had to learn uh, Spanish, and then I went to the UK, so I had to learn English before we could go to where my final destination was, which was Turkey. So back in those days, I don't know, maybe now they have it, but they didn't have uh, Portuguese-Turkish dictionary. So I had to learn English before I could learn Turkish. And so that, that's, that has been part of my journey in having to adapt into different cultures and learn different languages and experiencing uh, perspectives, different perspectives. And in Turkey, I met my wife. She's from Arizona, born and raised here. And that's how I ended up, that's how a Brazilian ends up in Brazil. I mean, from Brazil ends up in, in the U.S. and Arizona. From a tropical place to the desert because I met my wife in Turkey. And that's how God brought me here. And something that's very um, special for me is the fact that um, in, my, in my experience since I arrived in the U.S., uh, I, I felt like welcomed in many ways and accepted in many ways and, and loved in many ways. But I also discovered um, racism and certain things like certain injustice in a different way too, both here in my own country. So being, being an immigrant in America can be both amazing and also very hard. So depending where you come from, how you end up here, if you came as a refugee, if you came because you had a job offer, it all changes very much how you experience America. But I came because I married someone from here. So I came and I immediately had a family here. So for me, in many ways, things were, were easier. So the interesting thing though is I'm not like very dark skinned. My, my dad's side of the family is very dark. My mom's side of the family is very light. Brazilians are like that, very, very mixed. And people, you know, and a, a couple that looks fair skinned may have a dark skinned baby because of how mixed we are, We're very, very mixed, you know, in, in Brazil. And I remember like being here, the first thing I started noticing that something was different about me, it was just how many times I was being pulled over by the police. So I, I was like, I was driving the same truck that my wife had 
driven since college. And she was known for being someone who was always speeding and, and getting pulled over by the cops sometimes and never getting a ticket. And she always got, got away with it. And I, I was like, what's wrong with me? Why do I get pulled over all the time? And I started to get like traumatized a little bit. Because in, in, in Brazil, if you see the police, like in Brazil, it's not just African-American people that have, you know, fear the police. Basically, if you're poor, you fear the police. I grew up poor, so if you're poor in a bad neighborhood, you fear the police. So I was always nervous when I saw the police behind me. And I started to notice the pattern of the police following me a little bit. And I'll change lane, they'll change lane with me, change lane, they'll come with me again. I was like, oh, no, I'm getting pulled over. And the interactions with the police, um, I was like, man, they must be having a really hard day because they're like every time, except when I was with my wife in the car or her family. But every time I was by myself, I was, I was at the very least treated very harshly, to say, in a very mild way, you know. So it was very interesting to see the difference between how I was treated, how my wife was treated, and how often I was pulled over. So, but that doesn't, doesn't begin to compare um, with the experience of my my brothers and sisters, especially my African-American brothers and sisters in the country right now. And I want to I wanna come uh, today to share this time with you uh, by beginning to, beginning by confessing my, my own sin, that sometimes people think that, you know, racism is something uh, unique to America, and it's not. Like I was just in a meeting with people from very different, you know, Latino countries, lots of, you know, Spanish-speaking people. And we had this time where we all shared racism from our own culture. And I, I need to confess that growing up, you know, even like if you're, if you're both poor in a very poor place in Brazil, if you're darker skin, you're still somehow below the other poor person that is just, you know, in the same situation as you. So that's just like uh, a way um, that I feel like has been shaped in so many cultures, this, this sense that we're always um, segregating and separating people. It doesn't matter where you are. Like America definitely has a unique uh, flavor of racism like I've never seen anywhere before. I lived in different countries, like I said. But you see racism everywhere. And even in countries where most people look in a certain way, they find some way to discriminate against other people. And I, and I come um, in, a, in a posture of like lamenting with my brothers and sisters and encouraging us today to take some time to look at God's word and see how God can help us overcome racism, can help us uh, move towards one another. doesn't matter if you come from a minority background, if you're Latino, if you're Indian, if you are from another country, or if you are mainstream, like white American doesn't matter. We all have to take steps towards one another, but especially towards um, those who are suffering the most in this moment in our country. So in the past few sermons in this series called The Way of the Reconciled, we have heard many incredible things, many important things that helps us move towards reconciliation, that helps us move towards a way of living like the kind of people that God has intended us to be, of bearing the message of reconciliation. And one of the main foundations is the fact that we, you and me, we are created in God's image. And God created us in his image, and we're supposed to bear, to, to bring that image into 
this world and behave in ways that reflect his image. But because of sin, that has been destroyed, that has been uh, affected and distorted in so many ways. And I want to read, and then we're going to pray for us to get started. I want to read from Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 19. It says, For this reason I knew before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power to gather with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let me pray. Father, Lord, I pray for this time. Lord, I pray for everyone watching this, this sermon right now. Lord, I pray that you will encounter everyone, every man, every woman, every child, everyone that's sitting right now and wanting to hear from you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for um, coming to this life right now through this sermon, through this video. I pray, Lord, that you help us, help our hearts, help my heart as I share this now, and help the hearts of the people who will hear this message to be open to what your spirit is doing right now. I pray, Lord, that your presence will be um, felt in every room, in, in every house where people are watching this video right now. Be with us, Lord, as we come closer to you and to your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... Um, this afternoon, I mentioned to my mom that I was going to record a sermon and, and preach, you know. And she asked, what, what are you going to talk about? I said, racism. She's like, ooh, you're going to talk about racism? You're going to touch that? Like, you got to be very careful of what you say. And it's like, there's just like, there's no way anyone in their right mind right now <laughs> wants to be talking about racism, especially to a mixed crowd, or unless they're just venting, you know, their, you know, their ideas about it. Um, but there's something that I feel like kind of makes pastors uh, seem a different breed of crazy people. Because we believe that God uh, speaks through his word. And we believe that that is our job to bring God's word into bearing and to, and to bring God's word into people's lives in a way that helps us move forward. And that compels us to enter into spaces and enter into conversations that most people say, I don't want to talk about it. I, I, you know, this is not like, I just want to stay away from it. And maybe, maybe you are one of those people right now who are like full of fear. You are afraid of the, the pandemic, you're afraid of entering conversations about race because of how people can interpret what you're saying. Um, maybe, maybe you're just like feeling hopeless and feeling like, what's the point? This is, keeps repeating and 
you know, how, how is anything ever going to change? Maybe you're just feeling stuck. Maybe you feel like, how are you ever going to get moved past this? You know, every discussion becomes political in a way and, and people just fighting from both sides and, and no one's actually listening to anyone. And how do we get past this? How do we get unstuck? So that's my desire and my prayer today for this, this short time we're going to have together is that God will help us get unstuck as we look at some of uh, the book of Ephesians, or the letter of Ephesians. We're going to look at some verses and some ideas that helps us move and helps us um, move forward in understanding how God wants us to be the people that are reconciled to God and living that message of reconciliation with others. Especially in a time like this, we know more than ever the need for reconciliation. So I want to start by sharing this uh, graph that shows three circles. And this comes from a, a Mexican professor of theology from a seminary in the U.S. And I think this will be very helpful for us today in understanding sin. Because I think part of the problem for us today is like we can oversimplify this and say, the problem of racism is sin, so let's just all repent from the sin and go home and carry on for a day and done. You know, if only it was that simple, right? So based on the, on the text that I just read from Ephesians, uh, we start to get an idea of how, how God is at work. And then we're going to look now at Ephesians 2. We're going to look again at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 and get an idea what it says, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest were by nature deserving of wrath. So back to the graph. If we have this text in mind, if you have your Bible open and you look at this, this, this passage, it helps us see that sin has different dimensions, really. It has three dimensions that we can look at it right now. So the, the first one is personal. So it's very easy for us to see sin from the, the personal perspective, especially in America and the Western world. In Western culture, we, where, you know, individualism is something stronger, we tend to see, you know, even the gospel, we see as the good news for me, so I can be saved from hell, so I can become uh, 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 a child of God, so I can have this relationship with God. It's very much like uh, me and God, God and me, and to the point sometimes where it becomes like totally centered on us. So it's a gospel that's not much centered on us. And then the other, the other side of sin is systemic or structural. So it's, it's sin, how it works in different effects, in, in different spheres of, of the world, right? So working through systems. And, there, and the final circle is demonic. And we're going to look at these three areas and see how those areas might help us understand, us understand a little bit how we deal with sin in a way that helps us overcome racism and other forms of injustice. And it helps us move towards what, the, what God had intended us for, for us when he said that we're creating his image 
and to bear his image in this world. So first the idea of personal sin, right? So the main thing is like, we're very quick to say, well, I'm not racist. I'm not this, I'm not that. So it's, it's, this is not a, my problem, you know? This is something that other people are like that. It's the people on the video. Is that person that's, you know, on social media. It's always because if we make it just about us, it's, which is true in a way, you know, there's a personal respons responsibility. But if we only fo focus on us, we miss that there's more. There's another, uh, there's, there are other dimensions to sin, right? Because it's true. It says in Ephesians, in this verse we just read, you are dead in your transgressions, right? Like we have our personal transgressions, right? But then we go to the systemic part of sin or structural part of sin. And one of the common lies about this type of sin is the idea that, well, that was, there's no such thing as, you know, systemic racism. That was dealt with in the 60s. You know, civil rights movement took care of it. You know, things changed. Slavery ended. Things changed. So there's this sense that a lot of people think, no, there's, there's no such a thing. We moved past that. That doesn't exist. And I'm hopeful that more and more people are seeing that that's not true. That's, that's a, a lie. And actually, if we read Ephesians, Ephesians is very good in helping us see the systemic part of sin too. And even talks about Ephesians 6, 11, talks about the devil's schemes, like how he works, right? Through systems, through, through schemes. So a quick example, like if you, let's say if you want to save some money, you want to, uh, you know, you want to have you know, some savings for retirement, maybe for your children's college. Like one of the things you can do is you can like, sign up for one of the online services and start investing in a portfolio of, of stocks or some sort of investment. And the, the, the thing that appeal about all the systems of investment is that you put your money there and you set up automatic payments from your account and the system works for you. The system makes your money grow. You don't have to do anything for it. Actually, the, the less you get involved, the better it works for you in many ways, right? You just have to give it time. And in a way, that's how Satan works. He works through systems too. He works through systems of oppression, systems of sin and brokenness, that the less involved we are with it, the more it works for him. Because it does the work of Satan. It does the work of dividing people, of oppressing people, of destroying people's lives. Just the same way like a portfolio would do the work for you in the background. You don't have to think about it. That's the same way how Satan can work through systems. And the final part of it is demonic, right? So again, Ephesians paints a picture in chapter 6 of spiritual powers, of demonic powers. And if you talk to a brother or a sister from Africa, if you talk to a brother and sister from Latin America or from one of the Native American reservations, they probably have some stories for you that if you are coming from a white culture, you're probably going to be like, oh, you're crazy. Like, what are you talking about? That's like, like campfire scary stories. So like if I share stories of the stuff that I experienced as a kid growing up in Brazil with half of my family being involved with occults and witchcraft, you probably turn off the video. You'll be like, ah, this guy's saying crazy stuff. So, but that's the reality for a lot of people in the world that the demonic part of sin is very real. But interesting enough, in America especially, 
that element of sin became so forgotten that basically allows Satan to work freely in a way that he can do whatever he wants and we're just either targeting our own personal thing and say, oh, I just need to make sure that I'm good. Or we're attacking each other and say, oh, it's these other people out there. They are the racist. And we forget that there's also an element of spiritual warfare that's happening, of the devil actually working behind the scenes and working for ways to destroy us. So I want to suggest two ways, two, two uh, practices to help us live in the way of the reconciled, like things that helps us challenge racism, helps us challenge racism in the three dimensions that racism, racism as a sin is created in. So the first one is seeking reconciliation by forming relationships with people who are different than you. And I know you've already heard some of this, but now it's coming from a Brazilian. <laughs> now it's coming from someone who time after time I've had to learn a different language to be able to communicate with people, to be able to understand their culture. So when you learn a language, you don't just learn the language, you learn the culture. You learn what matters to the people in that culture. You learn what's make them, what makes them cry, what makes them happy, uh, what, what, what are their dreams. So every time I learned a new language, it changed me. It made me a different person because learning a new language helped me see the world through a different lens. When I learned Spanish, that happened. I lived in Paraguay, I learned Spanish, I got to see life through the, the eyes of my Paraguayan bro brothers and sisters, and it changed it. It really impacted me deeply. And then I had to learn English in Wales with a Welsh accent, and that completely really like changed my world because suddenly I had a whole different world of books that I could read and articles and videos and all those things that I didn't know I, you know, I could access. I understood the songs I never understood until then, because in Brazil we listen to songs in English, but we have no idea what they're talking about. So I could understand the songs. Learning a new language is part of like building a relationship with someone. How does that work here in America? Maybe you know, everyone speaks English or most people speak English, but when you take the initiative of forming a relationship with someone who is different than you, you're walking towards them so you wanna see the world through their eyes and understand the world through their eyes and that's the kind of reconciliation that God's calling us in, into seeing God's image in someone who moves from being a stranger to, bringing an, to becoming an acquaintance and then hopefully a friend and maybe one day a brother and a sister, right? So God is constantly calling us into building those relationships and helping us be, live in a family made of Jews and Gentiles becoming one family made of people from all these different tribes and tongues and languages and God helps us walk in this direction. So how do we, how do we what are some ways we can uh, form those relationships? So like right now, I know during quarantine, it may seem hard for you. Like, I don't know how it, how it is in your neighborhood where you are right now, but like where we are, we found that people are more open than ever to talk. They're more open to talk about deeper things we have a dog, so we always take our, dogs for, our dog for several walks during the day. We're committed dog walkers. doesn't matter how hot it is, we're out walking. And we found that often, you know, before, before the quarantine, people would have their earphones on, and the max would get, it would be like, just like a little wave and like a little smile. That's the normal. And over, during this season, we kept saying, 
hello, how are you? And we start stopping and talking to people and people were actually open to really talk. Like we got to know our neighbors in a way how we've never had the opportunity to get to know them. And they're not just willing to talk right now. They're willing to talk about deeper stuff. Maybe because they're confronted with life and death all, all the time. They're hearing about you know, people dying from COVID and, and all sorts of things happening. I don't know, but they're willing to talk and they're willing to, like when you offer to pray, they're more willing to talk about stuff like that. And we've really seen the difference. But if you are somewhere you're not encountering that, one, one suggestion that I give you is that, you know, there's a book called um, The Art of Neighboring with great resources. Even if you go on the website, Art of Neighboring, there's a specific um, resource there for this time of quarantine, for this time of the pandemic. So really highly recommend that as a way to help equip you to build relationships with people who are different than you. Like walk around the neighborhood because a lot of the people who are different than you are in your very neighborhood. And that's the thing. Like how do you get started? The main thing is that get started. Get started where you are with what you have or who you have, right? So like very small baby steps towards building relationships with people who are different than you. And second, seek reconciliation by listening with care. So as you, as you engage in those relationships, as you're forming those relationships, it's very important that you take the time to listen. And I know the whole point of why, you know, I'm here today and how Pastor Caleb has been, uh, you know, working uh, and teaching during this, this season is to help equip everyone, all of us, to um, listen, to listen to other people, to listen to people who are different than us, to listen to the pain and the struggles of uh, people that we don't, like, don't see them in our daily life. Maybe that, that's part of the struggle, right? How do we enter into their space so we enter into their struggle and the things that are happening? So some of the ways that we can listen with care, and this applies both like, to people who are outside of the church and people who are in the church, but specifically now for those of you who have the opportunity to know brothers and sisters from different backgrounds, from different ethnic backgrounds, from different cultural backgrounds, one of them is for us to start to read the Bible through their eyes. And you can do that by actually reading the Bible with them, by being in a Bible study or in a call or some, some way where you can actually read the Bible with them and see and hear how they read the same passage that you've read for many years. Or maybe it comes through reading books written by authors that are from a different background. And this is especially meaningful for people coming from... Uh, from the white culture, from the majority culture. All of us, we all need to listen to each other's culture. But if you are, for example, if you Google right now, if you go on Amazon and you search for uh, white theology books, you'll be pressed hard to find one book. And maybe it's not really actual like a theology, like a white theology. But you can find Native American theology, African American theology, Latino theology. There's all sorts of like, you know, Asian theology. So why, why is it that like, you can't find a white theology book? Because the assumption is that there's no white culture. There's no white theology. There's just the right theology, and there's the rest of the theologies. There's these other theologies. There's these other points of view. So when you read the Bible with people from, that are different from you, it helps you enter and see the world through their lens. Like It helps you engage with people and, and see the Bible that maybe you're so familiar with with fresh new eyes. So I want to give some examples of how you may see the Bible through different eyes by reading the Bible with people from different cultural backgrounds. 
So one of them is the difference between uh, power and powerless or oppressed, right? So if you read the Bible as an American versus as a Latino or an African-American or any people group that have been oppressed or, you know, exploited through slavery, through, through colonization, their, their way of looking at the Bible, they will see things in, in a different way. So, for example, in terms of, like, power, like, we like to see, like, often, you know, people think of Jesus, yes, he's the humble servant, and also, but he's the, the, the king, you know, the, the all-powerful God, and we think of the, 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 the powerful aspects of God and how he's in charge of the universe, and, and we, we like the idea of uh, humility, we like the idea of people that start small, but we really like where they end in power. In, you know, we love the rags to rich story because it ends in riches, right? And ends with people with power. So the thing is, when you read the Bible through the lens of my brothers and sisters the, 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 from um, you know, Latino, African, and other countries, and African-American, you start to see what it means to be uh, the Middle Eastern baby that was born during a persecution of an oppressor government that had to flee and become a poor refugee in a different country. And that suddenly becomes alive to you. It becomes clear to you when you read the Bible through a different perspective that Jesus himself was wrongly accused, tortured by the authorities, and condemned to death by the authorities, even when they recognized that he hadn't done anything wrong. So you see all those things in a very different way. And then you start to understand that Jesus is one of us too. So it's easier for, you know, like the, the, the paintings and the arts, you know, all the stereotypes of the, you know, the white Jesus, blue eyes, you know. That, that's easier for, for people, even other countries, to create this idea of this Jesus that's not one of us until we really start to understand the Bible and we see how Jesus was oppressed and persecuted. Um, the individual versus group mindset. I mentioned this a little bit, how it even shapes how we see um, the, the, the personal, the systemic, and the demonic part of sin. So the idea that as an individual in, in America, it's very important, like uh, is a strong value of American culture, that you're self-reliant, that you're a go-getter, that you have a strong personality, that you, like, that, that you have that, that strength, that self, like the things like self-taught, self-made, self-this, self-that. It's like there's, a, there's a, a pride in being someone who is at the top because of their own personal individual ability, right? Which is true. There's, there's, there's important things about it. There's things to be affirmed about it. Like we need people to have initiative. We need people to have ownership of what they're doing. But the idea that you completely ignore, when you see and you read the Bible like that, you ignore the fact how God over and over again works through people. Like even how he chose his disciples and how he formed the church. Like he formed a group of people. He formed a family. He worked through a family. He formed a family in Abraham. He formed a, a church at the start of his disciples. So it's always working through groups of people. And yes, there's the dangers of like, if you're coming from a culture where you have like, a, you know, a very strong group mindset, you could also fall into tribalism. But most of the time, if you are in a Western American culture, 
the tendency is for us to focus on seeing the Bible through an individualistic mindset that sees everything just between me and God and not like we saw systemic or even demonic part of it. And final, addressing the demonic part, the difference between material and the spiritual world. I already touched on this a little bit, but like as you read the Bible, like if you read Ephesians 6 with a, with a brother from a different background, like I said, and you ask them, tell me something about this passage that you know, reminds you of something you experienced back home. Right? So how many people, like even at, uh, you know, mentioning anything about the devil and Satan? And I feel like often in America, as Christians, we are really worried about how in the post-Christian culture, uh, people are stopping believing in God. But I, I believe there's a problem too, that a lot of Christians, they haven't stopped believing in God yet, but I think they've stopped believing in Satan a long time ago. They don't believe there's really a devil. There's a really an enemy, a mortal enemy, a deceiver, a lie, whose native tongue is to lie, that is working constantly in a spiritual world, trying to deceive us, trying to make us hate each other, trying to make us um, uh, kill each other and do terrible things to each other. We ignore that sphere. And that's one of the things that you, is super helpful if you are coming from a majority culture to see spiritual warfare, spiritual world through the lens of our brothers and sisters from different cultures. And Ephesians 6.12 clearly talks about it, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's saying that the struggle is not against our brothers and sisters. They are not our enemies. And even like in this season, I'm going to uh, be ending in this point, but like in this season, that is starting to get close to elections. You know, we're coming from a very difficult time with uh, a global health crisis mixed with lots of um, uh, racism and, and terrible injustice against minorities. And we're going to go into election season. So it's very important for, for, for all of us to think that when Paul, in Ephesians, if you study the letter of Ephesians, he spends a lot of time explaining how God has made out of Jews and Gentiles one family, one body, and talks about loving one another and having that power. If, if you read, like it's a short letter, you can read in one sitting, read through it and see how powerful it is, the argument for us being one family, being one people, and being a people that are not the enemies of one another. And then it, he ends in chapter 6. It ends by saying, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this is real. This is real. Like, when people are killing other people simply because of the color of their skin, when we're allowing systems that keep people in poverty, in, in terrible situations, simply because of where they were born, we know there's more than just our personal choices involved. 
there's a whole system, and there's a whole system that behind the system is Satan working to destroy God's creation, to destroy God's image that's in you and me. And what a better way for him than to turn us into enemies, to turn us into uh, people who hate each other. So as you go through this season, as you start to think about elections, please do not give ammunition to the devil. Do not give ammunition to the devil. It, it talks about the flaming arrows in Ephesians 6. Like, do not give fire for that flaming arrows. Do not say things. Do not do things. Do not harbor thoughts in your mind that makes you see your brother and your sister as your enemy. And the enemy works like that. He's going to try his best to make you believe that. And part of why he's so successful in doing that is because we're completely unaware of his workings. So I hope that today, by looking at God's scripture like this, just like when you pull a rock from the garden and you see all those bugs run for their lives, running away from the light, I hope we're doing that right now together. As we're thinking through this, that God's exposing the sins of our hearts, that we're pulling those rocks over from our away from our hearts, and that all those things that have been hiding in our hearts right now have to run and flee, that Satan has no more foothold in our lives. This is the desire that I have, that we'll truly live and, and embody the way of the reconciled as his people, the people that God has called us to be. And I want to finish by reading from Ephesians 3.14. And this is the prayer that Paul prayed for, for the Ephesians. And I pray for all of us through this season as I end. For this reason, I knew before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Father, I pray for everyone listening to us today. Lord, I pray that you continue to work in our hearts, that you help us get unstuck, that you help us take little steps, pull, lift the little rocks, Lord, even if they seem small to us, Lord, so that we may not allow any corner for the devil to find a foothold in our life, Lord. I pray that you bring our hearts towards one another, that you bring repentance in our midst, that you bring the desire to walk with one another, to be in deep relationship, in loving and listening to our brothers and sisters, in loving and listening to our neighbors, in a way that brings glory to you and overcomes Satan and overcomes his schemes. Lord, I pray that you use the SBC to be a light in the Phoenix area. Lord, in this part of the valley, that everyone in this community will continue to be peacemakers, will continue to be people truly embodying the message of a reconciliation. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.